And now, do you like Prince movies? Hey everybody, welcome to Do You Like Prince Movies? I am Chappie. And I am no longer a member of this podcast, <laughs> apparently. Because I don't do podcasts with pigeon-talking robots refurbed from their cop days. That hurts my newly discovered feelings. Well, I'm going to introduce you to some new feelings, some additional new feelings, <laughs> such as contempt and indifference and bewilderment. I'm Alex Papadimus. Oh, now you're Alex Papadimus. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm taking you, refuge. You want a little respect. Yeah, dude, I'm <laughs> back to my human identity. Apparently there's a... Chappie saw those box office returns. Ro- robotism. All over this podcast, I know. I see how it is. I see how it is. You know this. You know I'm a metaphor, right? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You can't talk to me that way. Um, Well, you're a metaphor for so much. I can't even begin to to parse where where one allegory begins and another one ends. So, I mean, it's all you'll have to explain yourself to me. But you know what? You probably can't. No. So you have to go back to being Alex. Sorry. Uh, I'm Wesley Morris. Proudly, proud to be Wesley Morris. Uh, And we're going to talk about Neil Blomkamp's Chappie, which opened last weekend. And we're going to talk about a very amusing ranking of the 37 singers in 1985's We Are the World. Which, if you can do the math, I can probably do it. Turned 30 this year. Um, yeah. We're also going to talk about like the state of, of charity, of charity songs and, and human rights songs and that sort of thing. But first, I, was, I went to the movies yesterday to see Chappie. And upon exiting my one of my least favorite theaters in all the world, because the escalators are always broken in a theater that has like has like ten floors, um, on my way down because I didn't take the elevator because that is also a death trap. Uh, I know what theater passed... you're talking about. By the way. You haven't <laughs> even mentioned it. I know. What, I know where you are. I'm not going to mention that it's it's the court treat, court treat twelve. I won't even do it. It's. I won't even say that it's the Court Street Twelve, um, which is a. Fi- it's convenient. I've never had a more convenient relationship with a movie theater, and also I've never had a more exasperating. If something can go wrong at that place, when they remake the Towering Inferno, they should remake it there. <laughs> the twelve is like how messed up it is out of ten. <laughs> it- I mean, it's not the worst theater. I don't think it's the worst theater in it's Brooklyn. It's not the worst theater. In, no, it is I certainly live next not the to worst the theater pavilion, in Brooklyn. And you cannot no. talk to me about it. Is it is theaters. not the worst theater in Brooklyn? It is not the worst theater in New York. It is just an like it's just the sort of thing that where something can go wrong. If something can go wrong at that theater, it just will. Like the projection is actually the quality of the movie going experience once you make it to your seat is perfectly good. It is like maybe even by New York standards above average, but oh man, you need like an insurance policy to get up to your seat. It's not things don't work. It's super crowded. the The stanchions that sort of sort of like guide you 
they're guiding you in the wrong direction so that when you go the wrong direction, you get yelled at by the woman taking the... T- oh, man. Anyway, on my way out of the theater, I saw a poster for a movie that just made me hang my head. And I mean, I don't know what our parents felt when things like the Beverly Hillbillies and the Adams Family... When those things began, when all those TV shows like the Brady Bunch in, in the in the mid '90s began, in the early '90s began being remade as television as as movies, I don't know. I don't remember having a conversation with my mother, who I don't remember her saying things like, "This is the end of the world," <laughs> which you might have remembered. I might have remembered her saying that. I might have remembered her saying that, but it. <sighs> I saw an ad, I saw a poster for Poltergeist and it is such a like well done poster that I'm like, oh, they're re-releasing Poltergeist. Oh, wait, it's by the people who brought me the Evil Dead remake. Ooh. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is real. It is not a re-release. It is a remake. And I'm just, I'm just sad. I'm just sad because if you've never seen Poltergeist, which I'm assuming this I'm assuming this movie is for those people specifically. Obviously, the, those of us who have seen it will go to like cry and and compare notes and hope that it you know doesn't make us extremely sad. Right. I mean, horror but, fans are extremely masochistic by nature, and we'll all yes, go see this yes, movie and yes, hate it. Yes, and yeah. Yes. But I it just I don't know between this and remember that did you ever see that Fright Night remake? They came out a few years ago. Oh, with Colin Farrell? Yes. I've Colin, with- seen parts of it, and I, I sort of filed it away as, like, this might be really fun to watch sometime because it looks terrible, and it's, like, peak sort of weird Colin Farrell. Uh, but I didn't. Right. I never actually uh, sat down, no, and, and it, viewed it from beginning to end. It's pretty wonderful. It's pretty wonderful. Colin Farrell, I mean, you are correct. It is, it is peak, a version of peak Colin Farrell. Um, Colin Farrell, who remains the most underrated actor, I think, of his of his age group. I I, I don't know. I'm gonna just throw that out there. Um, between that movie and Cassandra's Dream, uh, he he gave two. He, I mean, obviously, no one's gonna pay any attention to the Friday Night performance, but he is so good in that movie and so hot. Um, I mean, which is kind of the joke. But if you've seen the original Fright Night. You kind of just can't believe that that movie, that that nightclub scene, the dance floor scene in that movie, is so suggestive, and it is also kind of hot. Um, and Chris Sarandon, just I don't know. Anyway, I'm, focus, I'm, focus up, Poltergeist. <laughs> but I'm just mad. I that know. is pretty much it. I don't know why the Ghostbusters thing and this. Yeah, so you know, I don't. If if you guys don't know, Ghostbusters is now. Was the term Marvelized? Is yeah, they're making correct? 17 Ghostbusters movies uh, in the next two years, which is going to be really exciting. No, there's a Ghostbusters universe now because – but it's such a BS reason why there's a universe. There's a, The only reason they're doing another one is that they're making – they started – they announced that Paul Feig was making an all-female Ghostbusters and a bunch of people got upset. Guess what Because – Guess what kind of people? Which, which – uh, Type of person. One, one's born with penises. I objected to this attack on 
masculinity. So there's an all guys Ghostbusters coming out. So I was going to ask if this was if this was poltergeist, if this was like an all male poltergeist. <laughs> People were like, there's too many women in the original poltergeist. What's, what's this girl touching the TV? I don't understand. <laughs> Why this is yeah I don't get it I'm not gonna go see this. so it's like Polter dudes um, I don't even yeah, I we're a... not even gonna discuss uh, what's what what's what's wrong with all of the all the logic behind that but it's just uh, but also I mean there is the secondary the, leaving aside the ridiculousness of you know them needing to man man the Ghostbusters back up um why do we why does everything need to be a universe. Why can't we just make one really good one? Let's focus on just putting all the energy into like making a really good Ghostbusters movie. Uh, of which there is exactly one at this time. Yes, so it's a little I, early for a universe. I was I was going to say. Also, I mean, don't even try to put any perspective into this. We live we are living in a moment right now in which a busload of frat dudes were just exposed as chanting a bunch of racist stuff on a on a bus the other day. So, you know, I mean, like, we just got a report from the Justice Department. Like, nothing, everybody's mad about something. And some people have access to and the resources to rebut the things that they think are affronts to their, their identities. And so if, you know, Kate McKinnon and Leslie Jones and who else is in that movie? Is is Melissa McCarthy a Ghostbuster? I forget now. It's a lady a, Ghostbuster. It, it uh, almost doesn't. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter because somebody gets mad about it, and then suddenly, like those the people who are angry about it, get their own movie to make them feel better. Which is it's, it's called feeding the trolls. It's called not being a person of color. I can tell you that also. <laughs> like people of color get mad about a lot of stuff that's an affront to that's them. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. They don't get a movie. Oh wait, am I suddenly? Uh, did I just turn humorless? No, Sorry. no. I, I mean, look, I get, I turned humorless <laughs> on this. <laughs> Sorry, I lost my sense of humor. Um, <sighs> but I, I, I will say, um, I, I was, I was mildly amused and somewhat excited to see the the all ladies Ghostbusters. Um. Also, I want to say, <laughs> I am excited. About I saw some. I got to the movie. I thought I I was late enough to go see Chappie, um, so that I would avoid all the trailers because that's not you know that takes like half an hour. And I mean I I was a half an hour late for this movie. You have that buffer, yeah. They were still on, so I got to see the trailer for Cameron Crowe's Aloha. Have oh, you man. seen this? You know what? I I tweeted about this. I'm going to recycle a joke that I said on Twitter, but it's a true joke. I watched that trailer and came away from it with the song Soulsbury Hill by Peter Gabriel in my head, even though that song is not in that trailer. <laughs> it is the Soulsbury Hilliest trailer I've seen in kind of a while. I um, look, I ride for that I don't guy. know what that means beyond liking Soulsbury Hill. No, it's personally. like, you know, it's like in all those trailers. It's in all the, yes. and I believe it's in like the Elizabeth Town trailer or something yeah, like that. That's true. It, I is, think, it is. It is. It I is, want to give is. him credit for introducing that as the song that was in every trailer. Like the only, I, I know it's in the trailer for that, that movie with Dennis Quaid and Topher Grace or their, you know, the boss movie, whatever that is. I forget the name of it now. Company. Good, good company. Yes. In good company. In, yeah. 
Uh, yes, you're yeah. correct. Anyway, I am so excited to see this. <laughs> I am so excited to see this movie. I watched that trailer and I thought, oh man, he's he's even if this doesn't work, it is the it is it is like the Cameron Crowist as a however old Cameron Crow is now, sixty years old as a sixty year old. Ah, uh, yes, okay. This um, is the one. This is the terrible. The one that has that. There's a terrible Sony email about it. Like it's supposedly, yeah. It's like it's supposedly is it, it's real, supposed to be very bad. Well, who knows what's what's going on in those emails? But yeah, there's a, there is a there's a email. I believe it's an Amy Pascal email about all the things that are wrong with it. There's a whole you know elucidation of everything. And they may have gone back and fixed those things. I don't know. I ride for him even like bad Cameron Crow. It has to get real bad. For me to uh, not Elizabeth, Elizabeth Town bad. Oh yeah, no Elizabeth Town. Did you jump terrible. out of the car on that one? Oh yeah, no, it's terrible. But there's you know like yeah, there, there there's there's moments in that like that one is like a a, te- a gritted teeth Cameron Crow movie for me. But like that's obviously that's you know that's the line. I don't know. I watched I watched Singles again recently. It's, singles it, has some moments. There's though. some comforting things about Singles. There's a it's and a, it's there's a kernels some kernels of truth. Um, do you know the yeah. other? The other wait, what were you going to say? About I said, oh, there's many, there's many kernels of truth. I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, um, I have not seen that as a as the person I am now. I saw that. I I last saw that about 15 years ago. I'm, I might rewatch it. Uh, the other thing I watched, the other trailer that came on that I was subjected to, and found my blood pressure going up with delight. That Fantastic Four trailer. I I don't know what it is about seeing. I don't know. I don't know. I couldn't believe that, like, my involuntary response to that movie was happiness. But it was. I was. I'm excited to see this movie. <laughs> this is where you hang up. The phone. No, 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 no. No, this is the one. I mean, this is what I look. This is what I'm arguing for all the time. And, you know, to, to deaf ears, it's like this is now this is basically like in, in the, the grand scheme of superhero movies. This is the rogue superhero movie. Right. Because it's not connected to anything, it's mm-hmm. you know uh, like Marvel They'll find has, a way to connect it. I'm sure. Oh yeah, no, they will do something. If this movie is successful in any way, we will get twelve movies out the back of it that are terrible. And you know, um, hope a power pack movie comes out of it. That's oh man, that be amazing. That would be great. <laughs> Just take the kids from Modern Family and make a power pack film. Okay, that's uh, why can't why can't we? Why can't we do that? There's only like I yeah. There's only like four Power Pack fans in the world. That's really that's the problem. Um, are we are we two of them? Because yeah, I know like the third one. Um, I would kick in my four hundred one k to help get that one started. You will kickstart that movie to buy the rights to anyway, Power Pack. I was a huge yeah, Power so Pack fan when I was a kid. I'm a huge Power Pack fan. I like when they all switch powers. That was dope. Um, uh, yeah, my what, to explain to people who don't have any idea what we're talking about, Fantastic Four had, a, you know, Rich, Sue Richards and Reed Richards had a son named Franklin who also had special powers because he's a mutant, right? That, that constitutes Yeah, mutants. and he was he was depending on when you were reading the comic. Like, at, there were certain points where he was, like, the most powerful mutant in the whole universe. Like, they were, right. they were regular humans born uh, normal and exposed to cosmic rays, but Franklin was a mutant who had uh, psychic abilities and could, like, bend reality. I think, oh, like, he God. became super powerful, and then eventually, that was like... the best... And yeah, he and he ended up in Power Pack, uh, which was like this little team. It was a family of four 
uh, uh, siblings who had also had a Fantastic Four like accident involving sort of alien something. Um, and there was a lot of like really cool, you know, if you were 12 and reading comics, like, you know, you spend a lot of time sort of thinking about like Peter Parker going to college and stuff like that. But like this was a comic about kids and I was really into it when I was exactly the age of these kids. Uh, really good uh, crack issues. <laughs> there was the crack epidemic was dealt with in the yeah, pages of Power no. Pack by Marvel Comics. So many great things. Alex and Julie and Jack and Katie and then Franklin shows up. Uh, anyway. Anyway, so um, uh, no, I love this idea. I love the idea of the Josh Trank Fantastic Four because it's not tied into anything and it's so much an orphan of this whole thing in a way that I am really excited about because it does not have to service any other stories. It's not trying to, you know, I mean, obviously the point of all these things always is to set up nine sequels, but like the first one gets, it's blue sky and it's interesting to sort of see. I'm I'm curious to see what happens with it. Um, but it's just weird. It's like, you know, it's not a Marvel studios thing, you know, it's from another side of the universe. And so, uh, Marvel is basically doing away with the fantastic four as a comic because, they don't want to be – supposedly this is the conspiracy theory. They do not want to be out there promoting through comics this movie that they don't have that much to do with except that sort of the, you know somebody like Fox or whoever it is has the license. Um, so there's going to be no more Fantastic Four in the whole uh, – the actual Marvel U of the comics, which is crazy. Uh, That's insane. So that that's weird. But no, yeah, I'm psyched about this. I'm, I'm psyched about it. Um, I was so happy, and then what stopped me cold? Well, the movies. <laughs> the movies stopped me cold, and then leaving the lobby, that Poltergeist trailer or that Poltergeist poster stopped me cold. Anyway, uh, we'll be right back to talk about the movie I just saw, and here is a little Peter Gabriel. Wesley, once in a great while, a, a filmmaker comes along to show us uh, our own world through through the, a lens that's kind of kind of different. It's a, through the, the, through the lens, the, the frame of science fiction shows us the you know the truth about our world and what's really going on out there. You know, sometimes only the you know only the science fiction guy, the ray gun, the goggles, show us what's really what's really going on. Uh, that's not the case here, but uh, Neil Blomkamp has a new movie. <laughs> it's called Chappie. I know that you saw it. I'm really excited that you saw it. I was worried. I had a moment last night. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to say I bolted up in bed, but I was like, <laughs> I, I was lying. In, I was lying in bed, and I was like, oh man, what if Wesley didn't see Chappie this weekend? I I don't. I'm not positive that he saw it. I I, I don't know for sure because uh, I I texted you after I saw it, and I I told you how I felt about it. In sort of a you know kind of an abbreviated fashion, but I you know I was really worried, so I'm really excited that you saw this movie because I've been looking forward to talking to you about it. I uh, thought you were going to bolt awake in bed, awake in bed, fearful that I liked it. Or what if I just bolt? I was like, wait a minute, I love Chappie. <laughs> I just realized it's the greatest. Well, let me let me let me let me let me frame this for you. I had read your review. I had read a, a handful of reviews. Um, that didn't necessarily, they ran a gamut of quality, but not of, not, not necessarily of, um, con, yeah, they were fairly, the, there was a consensus about the quality of the movie that it wasn't, it, it did not work. Um, 
I went in yesterday thinking, I'm open. I'm open. You know, there's something about, I will say this. I, I, I've listened to, to people talk. Everybody's got a different theory about when their movie-going biorhythm is, like when when the best time for them is to watch a movie. That's interesting. Or to, or to like, go to a museum or roller skate or whatever, go to the gym. I mean, there are some times of day that are, that are just better optimal for some things than others. And I think my optimal, I mean, I used to lie and say that there's no optimal time for me to go to the movies. I'm a professional. I can see a movie any time of the day. But I will say there is something about going to the movies at like one o'clock on a weekday or a like, like a Sunday. Any, I think one o'clock any day of the week is like a really, on a sunny day, is a really nice time to go to a movie. I don't know why. But you're just up for it. And I was up for this. There was something about the idea of watching, setting aside, like, who made it or what's in it. Like, there's something about the premise of this movie that kind of appealed to me. Um, and I love the art direction of the ads. I love I love the way the, the posters look. Um, I love, and you know, in sitting and watching the movie, I love the production design and the set decoration um, or the art decoration. It's It's... It is a it's a really handsome movie. It is set in in some sort of parallel Johannesburg, uh, in which the police force has now staffed almost entirely by a robot force of of sentient robots um, by a company somewhat at war with itself about philosophically at war with itself about whether these sentient robots are the, are the way to go. Or whether these behemoth police force robots controlled by by man through virtual means, uh, some sort of neurological, some neuron stoking uh, shell that you put on your head and then the use a joystick. Yeah, the word you're looking for is bike helmet with wires on it. <laughs> but go on. Yeah, so you, so you jack into this device and you control it. This seems to me like once once the world is sort of laid out and this and the philosophical stakes are laid out um that's sort of the overlay right and so in this you you have this plot involving a couple of gangster criminals i'll let you characterize them later who need to repay another gangster uh even more outrageously flamboyantly awful and appalling than these two nincompoops or three nincompoops, actually, but one of them actually isn't a nincompoop. He's just along for the ride. Um, and so there, the brilliant idea, which I actually found very funny, is that one of the one of the criminals who owes the money, her boyfriend owes the money, but but she has this idea so stupid it actually might work. Why not capture one of these police robots, rewire it, and use that as the muscle to pull off a heist to get the money to pay back the gangster? Um, and in, and in capturing this robot, uh, they also have a run in with his, his creator. And so there is this sort of parental custody battle going on between the gangsters and the creator this guy named Dion, who's played by, um, Dev Patel and Dev Patel, of course, at work is in a bit of hot water or not hot water. He's, he's butting heads with this, with the guy who, with the fellow employee, who believes that this that these 
sentient robots are are a threat to humanity and a uh, they represent everything that we as, as as humans should not want to have happen, and that the only way to have a solid, trustworthy police force is for man to control the robot police officers. And that person is played, I would say, in a kind of underutilized but really good performance by Hugh Jackman, who has the best... He looks the part, like, I mean... They're two really good. I mean, there's a lot of things about this movie that I actually do appreciate from a detail, from the level of detail. I think the time that went into figuring out what this guy should look like and what he should wear, I thought was fantastic. And that the answer um, was Steve Irwin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, if, shorts I mean, long, you know, practical Alex, socks. I hate look. to blow your mind on this, my friend. I have been on dates with that guy. <laughs> I have been I, on, yeah. I've been on dates with the Steve Irwin of the virtual reality police force programming world. He does exist. And he is built just like that. <laughs> I mean, it's it's I, I just found that I found that specific that guy exists. I mean, the problem with the movie for me, though, is I don't think that guy's. I don't think the place the plot pushes that guy that turns him into a villain. I don't think that guy would would go to those extremes. And I feel like the point at which, and this was made, this point was made both by you and by Kevin Lincoln in a story that he wrote for us about why the movie's failure at the box office is either good or bad for no Blomkamp and what um, his, what Blomkamp shortcomings are as a, as a director of science fiction. I feel like the movie only works as an action movie, but as an action movie, it's so boring and uninteresting given this, this, this sort of social commentary material around it. Um, that I just, I, I, I was so not interested in any place this movie was going to go. Also, I found most of the people despicable. (laughs) So there is also that, um, including eventually poor Chappie. Yeah. And, and and Dev Patel, I feel like there's not really a lot of there's not a lot of people to root for. But he man, he really wants you to root for D. Antwoord though. That that's Yo, there's man. a lot. So you of, can explain these two. All right, I actually yeah, I, I these I are these of, are the villains. I mean the the sort of the gangsters in the movie yeah, who actually the, turn out to be the heroes. Yes, they are this. Uh, yeah, they they start out as the movie starts out as you know here are the the bad people coming to you know to take uh, the robot that you know is going to become Chappie. Like you have an identification with this robot from the beginning because you've seen the trailers and you just know that you're looking at Chappie, um, even though he's kind of a bunch of C three PO parts in a bucket, you know, in the beginning of the movie, you know, in a box when you're first introduced to him. Uh, so yeah, the uh, the gangsters are played by uh, Yolandi Visser and Ninja from the South African... I guess they're like a... I don't know. It's like a I, rave rap is the word I've heard. It's yeah, a techno that, rap duo. That's what they sound like. Called D. Antwoord. Like. Uh, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right or wrong. I don't really care. Uh, they, it's, there's, a, there's a form of music in South Africa that's called Zef, which I think is kind of like... It's like if you know what... Do you know what chavs are? In Britain, no. It's like a, it, 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 it's an ironic celebration of we we don't have anything exactly like this. Like we have it a little bit, but we don't have anything that's like actually sort of taken seriously. I think it's kind of like what riffraff is, to mm-hmm. some extent. But like that's mm-hmm. selling riffraff short a little bit because it's this very it's this ironic 
replication of what trashy white people look like in South Africa, I think, is what the deal is. But clearly mm-hmm. all of the tra- signifiers of trashiness come from hip hop and are kind of, you know, they're removed from their context. But it's like it's so it's like, you know, it's kind of like uncouth gold teeth music made by these very uh, pale folks. Uh yes. Gr- grills, 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 grills music. Yeah. And grills th- and tattoos and maybe dreadlocks. One of the things that's really interesting in Chappie is I can't I, 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 I'm sure there's an example that I'm not thinking of, you know, and I haven't been, been able to think of it. But Blomkamp basically like they are so, somewhat futuristic. Like when I first saw those, the, you know, the started seeing those DM word videos and stuff, they, they look like something that somebody dreamed up for a science fiction movie so in a way it's sort of perfect but he doesn't actually they're not even really performing they're just kind of they they play themselves their characters have the same names like they have guns obviously and and they're shooting people and like robbing people and stuff like that but i think a lot of their sort of artwork is all over the the kind of uh you know the gangsta lair you know all that sort of graffiti and stuff is their graffiti you know, it's mm-hmm. their own tattoos and their own shirts. And, like, he wears those, like, dark side of the moon shorts. I've seen those in another video, you know. Like, yes, he's where the sort of... prism is right over his over his, over so, his ceiling. So they kind of, you know, he's been trying. Blomkopf has been trying. He's obviously quite enamored of them. He wanted to cast Ninja, who is, the you know, the main gangster guy. He wanted – there was a version of Elysium in the works that would have starred him and not Matt Damon. Like the sort of the order of succession for Elysium was he went to Ninja and Ninja was like, I don't know if I can do it. So he went to Eminem and Eminem was like, can we do it in Detroit? And Flamkamp, I guess, looked into that and the answer was no. And so then he went to Matt Damon, which is kind of hilarious that like that. It's like then, OK, fine, I'll cast a movie star and it'll get a hundred million dollar budget for that. Um, so he's clearly been trying to make this happen for a while. I don't think it really happens here because I don't think that they're not they're not that great. They're not that compelling as you know, it, it never gets past the point, at least for me, of you're just watching two white rappers kind of playing themselves on screen. They don't really sort of come alive for me. And they're supposed to really form this Yolandi particularly like you're, you're clearly the, you're supposed to have some kind of emotional pull of like her and her sort of maternal relationship that she develops with Chappie. It didn't happen for me, but it's interesting to see this happen. It's a very, like there is a, I don't know. I think when people have reviewed this positively, like they're seeing sort of more weirdness than I saw in it, mm-hmm. you know, like it's been like, yeah. like that it's more of an oddity, you know, and I've seen people invoke like Nollywood to talk about it, which is sort of crazy. And, you know, for a number okay, of stop, reasons, <laughs> stop right there. All right. I'm good. <laughs> I mean, keep going. But I mean, I'm, I'm saying to those people, people stop. You're saying stop your mouth. People stop saying your, those things. Stop your – Shut stop, up. Shut up your face. Stop your blog. <laughs> stop your blogging. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. I, I feel like that's the, the you know it, it's not as crazy as it as you sort of imagine that it would be. Like if you have this movie described to you, it sounds in, kind of amazing, right? I mean, like, yes. even if you know who made it, like it, it, you know. But it's just, yeah. I think I think the thing that Kevin Lincoln wrote about this was absolutely true and kind of says what I was saying about it in one sentence, which is that he should just be an action director. He's drawn to sci-fi, but the conclusions that he sort of puts forth in the, the sci-fi aspect, the things about the the social commentary aspect is just such a mess. And it gets in the way of like, what are really some cool action scenes? I felt that way about Elysium too, that like Elysium had a lot of weird and, you know, I don't, 
I, I'm trying not to use the word problematic, but I feel like it's actually kind of useful. Why not? I mean, that word was invented for for this guy's movie. This coinage, yeah, no, this coinage of problematic, where it's like the misdemeanor form of racism. You know, like like racist yes. is like oh, the that's capital a really, crime. That's a great. That's a great. That's a great distinction. Yeah, problematic is like you get a ticket. But it's right. not, you know, no, uh, no. that'll be twenty five dollars, please. Yeah, it's a mile. It's like, right. oh, man, like you, you, it's like the, you know, the, the sort of like no, no parking kind of racism. Um, no, it's like the, 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 the had a lot of sort of strange and problematic things to say about, you know, border politics and all that. And has, a you know, draw some weird conclusions. Um, but there's a really good action movie there. There's really legitimately like when it's like a guy with a force field fighting a guy with a gun that shoots things that explode five times in a row. Like that's really cool. And like really all that stuff is really well done. All Just like all the action in District 9 is really well done. It's just when it gets to the time of we're going to Battlestar Galactica some social issues into this story. It just – I don't know. It, they, these things just spin out for me. And this is the third one in a row that kind of does that, even though there's less of it in Chappie than there is in the previous two. I feel like it's I feel like it's still there. Yeah, I would say that this is the first of his three movies, the first of which is District 9. Um, this is the first of his movies that is, as you say, that fails, that, that doesn't work purely on artistic terms. But I would also say that I don't think and this is I mean, basically, you know, I'm I'm somewhat my 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 appreciation or lack thereof or, you know, my 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 feelings about this movie are somewhat corrupted by by knowing how you feel about it. But I happen to agree with you top to bottom. I feel like one of the things that really bothers me about him, because, you know, he makes movies that to me in some ways are very pleasurable movie going experiences especially this one um like i said i love how this looks i love in many ways how it feels i love the clothes that yolanda ha- i love the way she's costumed um i love that when the action sequence is about to break out in the office sigourney weaver who plays the boss of the company grabs her coat and purse before she leaves it's like <laughs> She's doing that what is, she can to that make is that the into realest, a, a role. That is the realest thing. I mean, I I always think about that when I'm evacuating a crime scene, or like if I have to evacuate a crime scene, do I go? Do I grab my coat and my bag? Do I do that? Sigourney Weaver grabs coat and bag before she heads out. She is also misused. Let's play a seed right now. We'll play a seed between her and Hugh Jackman when Hugh, like Hugh Jackman is is trying to prevail upon her. To realize that these these sentient ro- these sentient robocops are just a huge problem. They're destroying the the city, and he's got to use his man powered tank beast robocop thing. Here we go. It's called a moose. This is the work of Dion. It's the work of some filthy rogue program that he's been writing. And last night he brought a droid in here, and it was sentient. And, and have you seen this? Do you know about this? I told him no. Okay, that's a lot worse than just failing to work. So let's use this situation to make a certain other robot shine. Do it. Thank you. Destroy that robot. Thank you, ma'am. Burn it to ash. Burn it to ash. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's about it for her. I that, mean, but, yeah. okay, Ugh. you have Hugh Jackman and you have Sigourney Weaver in your movie. I'm sorry. I, I don't want this to be about that, but look, you have hired... I mean, I am a, I'm a Hugh Jackman champion. I support him. Nobody's going to work harder for you to make your dreams, to realize your dreams than Hugh Jackman. Even, I mean, he'll work to the point where, like, all you're seeing is work. But it doesn't matter because he'll do that for you. And you've got Sigourney Weaver, a great movie star, and the only movie star, the only female movie star of this sort of movie. And she, this is like, she's now become the Sam Shepard of action movies. You know how in those, like, dude shoot 'em up scuzz movies, Sam Shepard is always, like, the grandpa, the wise old man, the... The dad that you didn't know was the dad of the main character yep. there to like espouse some sort of like to, to spout some kind of, of, you know, down home wisdom that sort of loosely cribbed from one of his plays. Sigourney Weaver is is the Sam Shepard of this kind of movie. Like she's this is what, like the fourth or fifth thing she's appeared in as gratuitously as she has here, like. The, the, like the, the essence of Ellen Ripley without being able to do anything Ellen Ripley does. She's actually playing her working girl character yeah. in this movie. But she's also, but she is connecting this movie somehow psychically yes, to, in yes. the way that Sam Shepard does to all of the, to the, you know, to her tradition and to that alien tradition. And obviously Blomkamp's next movie is Alien 5. Uh, germinated supposedly on the set of this movie where he's got to talk in with Sigourney Weaver about what it's going to be. And there's concept art and whatever. And we'll talk about that later. Or we won't talk about it at all. But yeah, we don't have to talk about it at all. Yeah. Really. I but mean, I think it'll, it's, you know, I don't know. Yes. So I know exactly what you're saying. That's, that's really that. Yeah. I do. I mean, but I think the, the, uh, like the way that she is used as a kind of shorthand of credibility, mm-hmm. it, it, it just really irritates me. I don't think she needs to play Ellen Ripley anymore. She needs a Quentin Tarantino movie is what she needs. You know, I mean, she needs like some like a David O. Russell to be like, you know what? I'm going to get I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to give you something to do something really awesome. Um, I mean, she is a stage actor. She does work in the theater and she's not like she just need the work. But yeah. I mean, as a person who loves Sigourney Weaver and a person who recognizes when you see her in a part like this, she's still a vital actress. Like she still can do anything. And I guess I mean, I would rather have her play Ellen Ripley than than do anything else but um I don't know I just feel like it's it's not it's just I'm disappointed my last thought about alien my one thought about alien that I just want to tangentially you know because we're talking about these sort of the unnecessary Ghostbusters remake and all those things and the uh, kind of just going back and unearthing the you know the burial ground of our childhood in general um the point of this alien movie supposedly is to give Ellen Ripley the send off that she deserves. There's a movie called Alien 3 that does that really well. That is the like whatever you think about Alien 3, it like it it accomplishes that really really well. There's a lot of things that are just don't work about that, but like there is, you know, there is a farewell to Ellen Ripley in that movie that's terrific. And then they made another one and now they're making another one. We're going to keep going back to this cookie jar. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's annoying. But I, I just wanted, like, just to end this segment, uh, I wanted to, to throw out some things. This, I mean, this movie, the other, one of the other sort of problems with this, with this, with what, where science, where this kind of uh, 
uh, I mean, I guess it's kind of apocalypse adjacent, if not post or pre-apocalyptic um, science fiction is that, you know, they're, like it's all in some ways about the, the works that have come before it. So it seems highly, if not highly derivative, then definitely highly referential. Um, and I don't, I don't know. I, I, it's hard to sort of, I mean, I don't know if it's hard. I mean, I don't know if it's hard to create a, a, an entirely original world. There's a lot of really good novelistic, um, literary science fiction being written along the lines of race and like racial identity right now. Um, it's weird to see the movie sort of like keep retreading this, I don't feel like it's impossible. I actually watched this movie thinking, oh, this this is a totally conceivably true future possibility. But it is also one that I have seen suggested and explored in other movies that are better than this one. I mean, it's it's um, RoboCop. It's like it's it right, plays right, exactly. like somebody's RoboCop reboot script that they just ended up changing the name from RoboCop. The, the, but it all, leaving out the yes. Alex Murphy, there's just a you know, there's just a robot. Right. But. I also, but I also like the idea. I mean, I like exploring these things, but then you're sort of thinking about things that it reminds you of because it is like, it is, it seems to be clearly on the mind of the director. And then you, I mean, I don't know, not that Neil Marshall is necessarily on Neil Blancamp's mind, but um, I was thinking about like just a director who could do this sort of thing, like almost in his sleep and give you, he can give you an insane movie that also isn't really saying much, but is like a much better movie going experience. Like something like doomsday. Did you ever see doomsday? Which one's doomsday? Doomsday is like soldiers at the end of the world. Um, it's kind of like Mad Max. I mean, it really actually is Mad Max. It's another movie that is entirely made of references, but what it does with those references, like it escaped from New York and 28 days later. And, um, the, it, 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 it manages to take all of those things and just like catapult them into like another universe of, of action and violence. Um, while also managing to like very loosely comment on things that are happening in the actual world and in, in, like government conspiracy and that sort of thing. I mean, it's really funny. It's kind of like if Boz Lerman did a Mad Max movie is right. what Doomsday is like. I mean, but I know where I'm, I'm not I saying know that, what I'm watching when I get home, but <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying this is what, 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 you know, Blomkamp has to do, but I just feel like there are ways of, of being utterly derivative and also being sure of yourself and knowing what you want to do with the thinking that you're doing. See, and I don't think yeah. that there's enough thinking going on in this movie. No. And I think, but there's also not, it's it's weird, right? Because there, on the one hand, he's a very obsessive filmmaker. He's made two movies about Johannesburg and one movie where L.A. kind of plays Johannesburg. It's sort of L.A. is sort of every slum in the in, right. in the Lyceum. You know, it's kind of it's right. And there's the beginning. you get those shots of favelas that go on forever. Yeah, it opens with a bunch of shots of it's it, it like it you like it sort of deliberately is kind of blurring these places together. Even though after like the third one, you realize that you're looking at a bunch of different ones, and the idea is supposed to be like here's the world. So it's like you know I don't know I don't know what exactly he's flying over. I know it's Mexico City is the actual set where they shot the the bulk of the movie. I don't know right. what those openings right. are. Right, but it's Rio de Janeiro. It's Johannesburg. It's, it's South Los Angeles. Yeah, 
Right. And, you know, like the point is, and it's a lot of like, you know, places that exist today. And he's, you know, like using them to represent like, oh, you know, the kind of, you know, something post-apocalyptic. So there's a thing that he's doing in all three of these movies, less so in Chappie because Chappie is the least interested in its setting. In some ways, there's a lot. They basically a lot of it takes place in and around kind of the like I said the 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 you know the uh, deantward clubhouse lair, the kind of abandoned warehouse, and there's a shootout in you know that place where the all shootouts take place in movies now. That the can yard, you know, the kind yeah, of freight no. <laughs> freight yard. I've complained about it many times. Cars two. No matter what you think about Cars two, Cars two has the best warehouse joke I've ever seen. That comments on this exact cliche. Car opening sequence of Cars too, fantastic. Totally puts that puts that puppy to bed. Yeah, if only. But it'll never stop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. That puppy's right. gonna exactly. get back up. Uh, <laughs> but no, so there's a weird thing going on. He's obsessed with Johannesburg. Blomkamp left uh, South Africa. He was born there. He left when he was like 17 with his mom and his uh, siblings. I believe. I think that's what that was the scenario. Moved to Canada. And then became obsessed with it, sort of like he had he was there long enough for it to imprint on him. And he lived in, you know, sort of like apartheid era South Africa and then has this, you know, these memories of it that are constantly sort of being, you know, like resurfaced in this movie. And obviously District 9 is the most clearly based on that experience because it's about sort of an, the apartheid like treatment of these, you know, uh, alien immigrants. Uh, but I'm not sure – it's both it's not it's it's not fevered enough you know yeah, so there's no, like there's, no 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 That's he's true. trying to make so, he's trying to make certain kind of concrete points but when you actually really look at the points that he's making they're fairly troubling you know about what these are like you know because there is a sense in district nine that like that these like that it's wrong that these aliens are segregated but then at the same time the way that the aliens are portrayed you kind of get the sense you know what it's kind of a good idea that they're segregated because they're right. like no they're, i mean it, like once you start pulling the thread of what these movies are actually saying it's you know becomes fairly troubling and i kind of went on for too long about it in that thing that i wrote you actually Shappy, didn't but... you could have you could have gone on for longer i just feel like the, the all the race stuff is completely confused and I think that there's a there's a kind of there's a way for me that it doesn't actually feel authentic in that it's like he doesn't know anybody who's actually suffered this way or there's just something kind of false about the like his his reluctance to actually give people of color more to do in his movies than like have these official jobs that don't amount to anything narratively like the police chief and the police chief in this movie is some is like your 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 Eddie Murphy is your Beverly Hills Cop 2 police chief and like the the one of the news reporters is one of the one of the journalists is a is a, is a black woman i mean he he very politely acknowledges that there are brown people in this world but doesn't take the risk of giving them more to do except and the, yet, except the criminals right oh, except the yeah. criminals who well, right, all of the gangsters, but none of the lead gangsters, right? Because that would potentially be offensive. So the joke in Chappie is that they turn him into a gangster. And I don't know. We should probably go. But I feel like no, I, I wish mean, look, that- this is important. This is I think this is important to get to because there's something just really yeah, there's something really strange going on and Chappie finds a way around it by using the ant word so that you can have stereotypical 
like I don't even know like you know it's like it's hip hop characteristics nudge wink you know it's like you can sort of have somebody doing like like it's but ridiculous. those if guys were, in the this... movie don't even talk like that they're I teaching know. him how to talk because it's funny to the audience and I guess you know also because it's allegedly funny to the audience to the audience and also yeah. to the director. This movie would be so offensive, though, if it was like Method Man teaching Chappie how to be like, you know, like if, if it well, was Well, this actually, is what I'm saying. Yeah. But if it were going for that, I'd respect it more. <laughs> actually, if it were not, I take that back. If it were like Red Man and Method Man find a Chappie robot and teach it how to be cool like that, I would watch that movie. I would, I would enjoy it. I would feel not weird about it. I would not feel like somebody was trying to get one by me. Uh, and I, w- I would like to think that, like, the racial aspect of this doesn't really matter that much, but it does in that the people that, that, that Ninja and, and What's-Her-Face are, you know, they're clear descendants of, a, of, you know, of a kind of black culture. Yeah, it's and, a burlesque of a certain kind of thing, even if it's several stages removed and there's a layer of irony there. Right. It you still recognize it and it's still being given prominence, narrative prominence in a movie that that is in some way celebrating it. It is it is it is heroizing these two people. I mean, and I'm not I don't guess I don't really have a problem with that, but you know, they they're charismatic in their way. Um but I mean, this is the third movie in a row where he where he has opted to make a racial allegory in which the the other races don't really have a stake in the action uh as as heroes they're all victims or or it, supporting the hero in in saving the planet or solving the crime or right. r- writing or creating justice right there's always this aspect of whatever whatever's going on even if there's a resistance because in both district 9 and elysium there's you know there there's there's the smart alien who's building the weapon who's going to try and sort of, you know, uh, kind of free his people from bo- from bondage. And then in Elysium, there's the, the kind of, uh, you know, like Latino resistance fighter guys who are going to break into, you know, the, uh, the space station, country club space station and everything. But somehow, as capable as these characters are, A, they're not really characters. They don't – nothing really happens. They're not really that interesting as people, they don't really have qualities, and B, they, whatever they're trying to do, they can't accomplish it until Sharto uh, Copley or Matt Damon kind of like you know re- le- lets go of you know their kind of whiteness and joins the you know the other team and becomes like the savior. They've been waiting for this guy uh, for all this time, which is why I kind of wish that he had made a movie with Eminem. Right, I mean, it's sort it of would like be, it would have been that would have been interesting to to explore, but uh, he wouldn't really. Have yes, we would movie. still, Alex, they'll be having the exact same conversation. I know, I know, but just it's weird. with it's like a, Eminem's baggage brought to it instead of instead of the Antwoord. Yeah, so it's like this is a weird the yeah. Antwoord. But I, um, I guess the white savior is Chappie in a way because he starts out as a cop, you know. So he's a he's a symbol of authority who sort of. Goes I also to the other don't team. think that like I also think that there's a way in which the, the culture just isn't in the mood for this. Do you know? Like a robot cop learning to be, I don't know. There's something we're not just, we're just not there yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, this, I mean, that RoboCop, which came out last year was a hit. I don't think if you, that remake RoboCop, that remake of RoboCop, I don't know if you released that remake now that it, that it does nearly as okay as it did a year ago. I don't know. It's just weird. There's just the, like because there, there's there's interesting things going on in here. There, there like there's sure, questions about sure. consciousness sure. and about a sort of artificial intelligence that it kind of just the movie just kind of leaves. Oh, on it the can't table. handle any of that emotional stuff. 
And that's when her performance actually starts to get really good. Yeah. Anyway, before we go, I wanted to draw attention to something that Vulture did the other day in which they ranked the 37 participants in We Are the World. And I've, I found it amusing because it had always occurred to me that some people are just outstanding on this record and other people are not. Their the song turns 30 years old this year. And uh, it is, it's still, you know, a wonder, it gets better as, you know, it builds into something as, as many songs written by Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie uh, do in, separately and, you know, produced by Quincy Jones. But there are 37 people on this song, 21 solos. Uh, and I just wanted to, <laughs> I just wanted to shout out to my, my favorite pairing of solos. I mean, there's, I like Dionne Warwick. I like what she contributes. Yeah, I'll send them your heart. It's one line, but it's, it's pretty good. And, um, my favorite part of the song is the Stevie wonder, Bruce Springsteen climax. <laughs> and, and that is the right word. That it, it is the right word. Like Bruce Springsteen is like picking up Stevie Wonder and bench pressing him. And Stevie Wonder's <laughs> Bruce like Springsteen, he like throws Stevie Wonder through the wall. <laughs> he really. I hate but, famine. Famine bad. He's gonna punch famine in the face <laughs> with his voice. Anyway, I figured we could play a little bit of that. And... That's Ray Charles. Here it comes. Ready. things that I love most about this 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 interaction is that it, it, of everybody like Stevie Wonder has the most to do ultimately but I also love that Stevie Wonder isn't intimidated by Bruce Springsteen at all and that he keeps like he's got I mean he is giving phrasing he's like changing the the inflection of the words it's really great um I don't know. I, 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 he, they ranked him number one. I would, I solidly agree with that. I, I quibble with other things. I would have made James Ingram number two. He follows those two guys. Um, and, you know, James Ingram, forgotten treasure of, of 1980s pop and R&B. Um, I also dispute their saying that they, when, when Jeffrey Num Osborne's number comes up, it's, they say who, um, that's not right. You don't do that to the woo-woo man. Well, uh, look, look, that's that's children making making content there. So. I, well, they I mean, technically, maybe. But I mean, they they I was surprised because once I saw that, I was like, oh, these guys don't get it. I don't but know, I mean, I you know, they might be older than me. I don't even know. They had some things to say about James. I, I mean, no, but that's exactly what I thought when I saw them, like, just toss off James Ingram like that. Um, and Jeffrey Osborne. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know if I can take it seriously. A list that does not reckon with Jeffrey Osborne. No, I mean, they loosely do, but it's like, 
it's it's not to my satisfaction. Um, anyway, we are the world turns thirty. If you have not heard this song ever, you should solve that problem. If you haven't heard it in a while, you should do yourself a favor and revisit it. There are a lot of there. There are twenty one solos. I would say eleven or twelve of them are quite wonderful in their you know five seconds here, fifteen seconds there. I miss this as a genre because I I lived with this. I think this was the first one of these. I, do you know it's Christmas? I was I was it was right before this. Yes, but I Harry Belafonte heard his, heard heard Bob Geldof's. Do you know it's Christmas? And decided we need. I want to do one of these. I know some famous people, too. So uh, yeah, and so let's get thirty-seven. It's it's more than thirty. It's just, yeah, so it's twenty-one solos, thirty-seven people total. That's that's yep. crazy. But I lived. I sort of lived in you know through and as did you like the golden age of the all-star charity ballad or the all-star kind of jam for a cause song mm-hmm, and i mm-hmm. feel like we don't really we're too cynical about that we just we can't we the, you know like with good reason but you know because there's all kinds of you know uh, we, there's reasons to be cynical about things like this i also don't think people write music that could get that where people could sing like that do you know what i mean yeah like there aren't any diane warren is pretty much it like diane warren and um uh oh my god i can't believe i can't remember uh the four non-blondes lady oh linda, <laughs> linda perry. perry yeah linda perry i feel like there are people who i mean and obviously a, a handful of singer songwriters who could like get a record like that off the ground but nobody writes melody the way that you know lionel richie and michael jackson thought of melody um you know like notes that can last that anybody can sing that was a great thing about this song is that you know the news could sing this song. Huey Lewis has a solo, but the news is doing the choir bit. You know, I, I, I just feel like it's harder to, to come by. We also aren't trained to respond to music in that particular way. I mean, I don't know. I'd be curious to see, like, I, I don't even want to throw a name out there. I was almost, I almost said Neo. I'm glad I took it back, but then it's out there now. Um, Anyway, I, I don't know. I, I would like to see more. I mean, there is a lot of stuff happening in the world that could use a charity number. Sure. And I feel like that, you know, the South Parks, you know, the the, the Matt Parker and uh, the, the Trey Parker and Matt Stone to the world, like, make fun of that sort of thing. And so Simpsons it, it, it did it is first, also, by the way. Simpsons first. Yeah, Simpsons. I'm not yeah, going to allow true. you to give that's them true. credit for it because the Simpsons right, did do Sending Our Love Down the Well, which I think maybe ruined – uh, sort of a sub generation later, like it maybe have you know, maybe has ruined everything because it's just it's so perfect. <laughs> yes, it is just ripe. Yes, it's ripe for satire, and it's been made up made fun of for for so long. But like, so there were a lot of these that were really that were really important to me. I can I can wrap the entire Humpty verse from "We're All in the Same Gang" to this day. Uh, self destruction, <laughs> self destruction, which is yeah, we're all in the same gang is the West Coast self destruction. Yes, yeah, self destruction. Like, um, I don't know. I remember I, the Give I, Peace a Chance, the anti-Gulf oh, War, Give Peace a Chance. Give that was, Peace a Chance. Because yeah. what's great With, about like, the- Like, everybody yeah. is Sebastian Bach, Yoko Ono. Anyway, go on. Yeah, Iggy Your Pop was, was in there making fun of the new kids on the block for some reason, because that was an, also an issue that <laughs> needed to be dealt with at that moment. <laughs> and then there was a pro-Gulf War one. There were two. I forget now. The other the pro-Gulf War one was incredibly generic and boring, and obviously the Give Peace a Chance is the more fun one. Um but yeah, I'm trying to. I mean, like these. You're you're probably right that it's probably just not possible. 
Yeah, to, our to, music doesn't work that way anymore. But all you would need – it's just weird because our music is they, so much more celebrity-driven, which is where this all comes from. And right. yet it's almost like everything is We Are the World now. I don't know. Right. We we are the world. It was We Are the World too. You know, like, I mean, it was – I mean, that was what they called it. Um. Anyway, we'll be right back with the Jam of the Week. It will. It will not be a charity anthem, I'm sure. So uh, I know it's still cold on the East Coast. I apologize in advance for uh, being a resident of Los Angeles and feeling like it's uh, summer already in March. But it was 80 degrees on Friday. And I don't know. Something Sometimes, you, you know, uh, the, the, that just uh, – sometimes it calls for different things. But uh, in, it, it called for indie rock for me for some reason. Uh, there's a new Joanna Gruesome song. And I just want to make cassette mixtapes and lead off every cassette mixtape with this. And I wish I got my driver's license when I was 16 years old so that I could uh, drive around experiencing this. Joanna Gruesome, the great Welsh rock band, I believe still on the great Slumberland record label out of Oakland, California. I don't know. This This, just takes me back to like some Velocity Girl, things like that. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't have... I mean, it sounds good. There's a lot of this indie indie rock nostalgia for a period of indie rock that I lived through that I'm very sort of conflicted about, but, you know, with like sort of, you know, Speedy Ortiz and bands like that, but like... uh, Mm -hmm. Joanna Gruesome. It's called Honestly Do Your Worst. Anyway. Uh, thank you, Joe Wesley. Fuentes. Thank you, Joe thanks. Fuentes. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Um, Dave Jacoby, thank you. Uh, we'll be coming at you next week from Austin, Texas, where the South by Southwest Film Festival, or Music Festival, Festival of Everything is happening. It's the South by um, Southwest Interactive Festival that's, that sometimes shows movies and has bands now. Yeah. But we'll be there. Uh, We'll be there. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, We'll talk to you next week. Bye, Alex. I just waved to you. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcasts.